Hey Randy, what's the difference between a VP of product, a director of product, and a head of product? I don't know, Billy. What is the difference between a VP of product, a director of product, and head of product? And why do I feel like I'm being set up? No, it wasn't the line for a joke. <laughs> it's a genuine question. And also, while you're thinking about it, <laughs> if you could tell me the best way to assess the competency at each level, that would be great. Well, I just so happen to have just the person to answer these questions for you. Morella Moose is the founder and CPO of Product People. And in our chat, we took a deep dive into the different steps on the product career ladder. That sounds great. Let's take a listen. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover loads of free resources to help you with your product practice. You can also find more information about Mind the Product's conferences and their great training opportunities happening around the world and online. Create a free account on the website for a fully personalized experience and to get access to the full library of awesome content and the weekly curated newsletter. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Marilla, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know you, who doesn't know product people, who hasn't seen you talk or blog or any of that stuff, can you give us a quick introduction? What are you doing these days? And how did you get into the wonderful world of product management in the first place? Sure. I'm uh, Mirola, founder of uh, Product People. We're about a 41 people company doing interim product management as a service, which uh, primarily in Europe, our ideal customer profiles are product-centric companies from Series B to publicly listed. We also give back to the world by curating free product management events, which we live stream um, every Tuesday and also are available on our YouTube channels together with a few offline events. We aim to onboard fast, align teams and deliver outcomes. I started Product People a few years back and we grew tremendously, especially in the last three years. What um, we do a bit differently than other companies is being at the intersection of management consulting and body leasing shops, where we focus on outcomes as in the best way product management should be interpreted, rather than just shipping a list of features or more delivery-centered, project management-centered type of uh, work that um, comes often from outsourced services. And some of the use cases we cover would be parental leaves, especially in Germany, Nordics, Netherlands, uh, which are some of our core markets. These take from three to 12 months. And it's also good for the people leaving that someone covers their job and they can be re-onboarded when they're back. Uh, coaching and consulting in, in some capacities or running separate product discovery. Of course, in between the parental leaves, this is like the most formal and extended type of leave, but there could be someone exiting the company or being exited. And that's usually three to six months uh, or taking a longer sick leave or any other type of temporary need for help, extra help. Great. And, and I'm sorry, remind us, how did you get into the world of product management in the first place? What was your, your first job? About uh, 12 years ago, I was taken over from a business analyst because, you know, sometimes this is, how, this is 
how the role was called. And I started doing the job before knowing I'm doing the job. Then later on, I transitioned formally to an EPIC company that was later sold to Pandora. And there on, I've changed domains and company sizes and scope, including managing product managers and designers until I started founding product people. And we asked you to, to join us today because we, uh, we'd had this conversation about the levels of product managers and, yes. and how, to, how you arrange an organization. And I'm curious, you, I mean, you see lots of different companies, you have to place people in different companies, so you've obviously thought a lot about this. Can you just give us a quick overview? How do you divide this up in your mind? Uh, are there mm-hmm. executives and juniors and, or where do you even start? Sure. So uh, one reason why this is important for product people is because we have multiple stakeholders. The obvious one is the client um, who is bringing in our revenue. Employees are also an important stakeholder for product people. And if you think of the professional services firms that are very well established, a lot of the ambitious people go there for the brand and the career experience. And this is also what we looked If you're a smart person who wants to transition into product or a mid-level product manager who wants to turn into a product leader or a senior who is kind of tired of being pigeonholed as the fintech or the B2B PM by all the recruiters, what are you going to do to amplify your career? So you you could come to a company like ours and there are very few companies that would take you in a tour around the world, let's say from... Um, while still being on their payroll and, and ha- having a exquisite attention to your career. Or you could be lucky and end up at a hyper-growth company where you end up doing lots of jobs throughout the growth of this company. So it turns out to be different companies altogether because we've been working with companies like Tier, for example, throughout their hyper-growth time. And what they were at 300 and 500 people and 800 and 1,500 are literally different companies. So for the people who stayed there long enough, especially in the product role and went around a bit from internal to B2C uh, products and other things, then these people saw multiple companies while being the same one. So there's very few places where you can get this experience. And that's why leveling is also important for us. So not only for, let's say, what we offer to clients, but also what we offer to our people. And how are we judging all the inbound applications that we get uh, against our internal levels and aspirations of what we want the team at Product People to be? So how do you kind of normalize the expectations of people across different types of businesses? Do you have one set of levels that you apply to all of the businesses that you work with? Yes, we have our internal. So one of the strategic decisions that we made a long time ago is to have people in-house. And I know that this is sometimes confusing to also the community and we get approached so often by independent contractors that, hey, I want to serve your clients. And we were like, yeah, this is very nice. Feel free to apply. But by the way, you need to be in-house with us and be a full-time employee at Product People, see if this is uh, something you want to do. So for us, it's just the product people leveling. We, of course, look and compare and appraise whenever we see this leveling at our clients or we're asked to create them for the client. But what we judge our people the most against is the product people expectations. And that has made things a lot easier. 
as we've gotten in the past people who weren't a fit for us long term they managed up to a client quite well and were like that but that client but they weren't as collaborative and helpful internally as we wanted them to and that was also one of the learnings that we really embedded in our leveling but also in our principles so i i can go with that but it's more we judge on product people's levels and when we talk with clients we try to understand the level of sophistication there and not not go necessarily by the labels because especially if you talk with recruiters it's the absolute worst but also if you talk with the head of product or with someone they say i need a senior but sometimes they mean i need someone that has good stakeholder management skills or at a large organization they need someone who has handled cross functional initiatives sometimes being a product manager without having a product team because they needed to convince other product teams to implementary initiatives right so that's like way more complex than just being a senior who needs to stand up to a few stakeholders or what's the technical complexity what they're going to do so so there are so many layers to this and and that's why we mostly go by our leveling and try to figure work backward from what our clients say the, the easiest is of course when we already work with a client because then we can integrate super fast and and staff the next people way easier so do you see companies uh describing these levels in a fairly standard way do the most of them have explicit levels uh written down or is it a bit haphazard i was surprised how late this comes in um i've seen it appear when a company has 800 people or in in between these 500 and 800 whereas we had it from the get-go but i think we had it because we were forced to because our type of work attracts very ambitious and motivated people and all these all the things the ambitious and motivated people want some sort of appraisal and some sort of recognition and that could be all right when do i promote when do i get a salary raise i am the greatest i mean not like that and and then also sometimes these people are self-conscious and they will go from oh i'm messing up to i'm the greatest to i'm messing up to i'm the greatest so that's more like the the profiles that come um, attracted to the line of work that we do, uh, which then also forces us to have these conversations very often and create a, has made us create a very mature structure for it. So maybe to give it a bit more depth, how we have it, we have nine levels within the company. It starts with uh, intern, ends with VP of product. I mean, 10 would be with mine with CPO, but in, in general, these are the levels that uh, um, we hire at. Then um, the compensation uh, is based on tenure within the role. So it is something we've introduced uh, recently because also in some cases we promote at 80% of sustained performance at the next level. So you could be at an L4, you promote to L5 when you've hit 80% of what you need to do for L5. So this way we wanted to appreciate the tenure within the company but also the tenure within the level in a way that people don't feel like the only way they could get more money or they could get more appreciation is to promote uh, this is also of course not our idea we saw it at a client and i was like why didn't i think about this this is the best thing they did it a bit differently on tenure within the company as you know also it takes a bit for someone to onboard when they're new so the way they have is this stage salary increase from six months uh, and then from one year onwards and then you start at a salary 
we made it within the level uh, also thanks to the fact that we don't have people need to hit a hundred percent on all the dimensions that they're being uh, ranked on to promote to the next level, which of course is not sometimes what everyone focuses on. And I could give also more context to these dimensions. Go ahead. Yeah. Before you do, I'm sorry, you talked about uh, hitting 80% of the things at a level is, is grounds for promotion. So let's just go into at the next how, level. At the next level, excuse me. Um, but let's go into how you describe a level and how it's written out. Is it more in the philosophy of you have to have certain competencies or is it there are very specific skill sets uh, and specific things that you have to demonstrate? What's How do you write these levels out? Mm-hmm. All right. So, so maybe one part that's a non-negotiable and we learned that through trial and error is the principles. It's, of course... In hindsight, I could have looked that up. There are also some consultancies that who could have a top performer um, exited based on a principal violation. So for, for, for us, we're not that harsh, but we do see and assess long-term fit also based on our principles. So I can start with that we have only five, one being low maintenance, high results, solving for the client and our company, spread knowledge generously, be excellent and candid with each other, optimize for long-term profitability and growth. So we try to hit something that includes work for our company, good work for our clients, good work with each other. This spreading the knowledge also refers to the community, but also how we expect people to behave internally. Um, as I know, a lot of PMs kind of are this lone warrior somewhere, or they elbow each other a lot in organizations. We actually penalize this type of behavior. Uh, whereas elsewhere, it's very successful. So that's why we try to also have this product people fit. So we have the principles. And aside from that, we have competency areas. Uh, as as you probably guessed, one of them is product management. And within that, you have the, the, the skills, the product scope, ambiguity level. And another important one is commercial leadership. The other part we talked about also relating to that is the complexity, like what kind of tech or human complexity have you demonstrated working with? Because we can have a very political client with very low tech complexity, could be, you know, a B2B that somehow does work uh, for governmental clients, B2B successful, right? That that could have a lot of human complexity, but from the tech side, it, it could just be a glorified Excel file, just very well positioned in their market and, and very successful, right? So, so who is to judge against that? On the other hand, you could have super high tech complexity in a sense that uh, other dev teams inside the organization could outage you. You need to work with the applied science team. You need this and that. But the, the human complexity can be relatively simple because everyone is very helpful and things are set up properly there. So that's that's one of the parts that is sometimes harder to explain, but we saw it in our missions and, and we brought it up. The other part is how you delegate, how you execute, and then how you mentor people. But So it's, it's a part of, are you a good individual contributor, but can you also help others? And can you break down scope between you and the people that are working with? And and, and that's a bit of a back and forth because I, we did notice that sometimes the the people, some people execute well, but they cannot teach very well or can teach, but don't execute that well. So, so it's also a very interesting mix of uh, skill that we're, we're needing. 
And the other part would be product people internal contribution and external contribution to product people that we expect here. Awesome. That's so much information. And I know it's a lot. This is what people <laughs> say as well, but it, it is what it is, right? If, if you come somewhere and say, hey, I want to promote, it would be like, hey, here yeah. are all the things. Um, and here are also examples and, and so on. So, Mirella, how do you work with the the people that you've placed in various businesses at the various different levels to assess um, their competencies and, and how they're performing against their principles and then develop those people? Because typically that's done within, I guess, the framework of like the people that they're working with on a, a daily basis, like within the business. That's that's an excellent question. I realize there's a bit of context that I didn't give, uh, which I'm also going to share. Uh, I cannot share here. Um, so we have a way of serving clients that looks like body leasing, but it's not. Um, in a sense that, let's say, the client wants to work with us to staff a parental leave, they will probably want to talk with one person, one or two people, because m- most of the time the clients want at least to have one chat. So the person they have the chat with and designate as their person, point of contact, we call that the client-facing PM. That person then comes with two other people from from our side that are not charged separately to the client. Um, So some clients have joked it's like buy one, get three. And depending on seniority, let's say if we staff a product manager, the backup body will be an associate and they will be mentored and supervised by a director of product. It could also be a a senior PM with a more senior associate and with a VP of product. So that those are the constellations that we deploy at clients, meaning that everyone uh, will request the same level of access and accounts. And then the supervisors, which is the director of product or the VP of product, could see how the people are working behind the scenes. So not only like what the PM is saying they're doing, they're going to see comms on the Slack channel, they're going to see decks, they're going to see mirror boards, they're going to be involved in a lot of things. And the other part uh, is we run quality of service calls uh, with the main stakeholders we work with at that specific client. And that has also been a pretty good uh, way to see if there's something that the client needs to be swayed towards uh, or our people need a bit more coaching. And it sometimes can be a super positive feedback where we catch a few things that we could do better and give that to the team. Because, of course, our ideal scenario is that we catch problems before those are even becoming visible at clients. But we could have also cases where our PM um, performs very well, but there could be some stakeholders at the client which are upset because the person who brought us in is not their friend or they have like some sort of dynamic going on. And then that stakeholder could be high maintenance for our uh, team, while there's there's nothing actionable for us uh, that got us seen there. It's more of, okay, understanding the dynamic and seeing how we work with that. Does this make sense? So we, we have this visibility across all the engagements at clients and um, so also visibility on how our people are running internal initiatives. Uh, so one internal initiative could be the, the podcast we've experimented with. Another one are, is the live stream events which all require different levels of coordination, execution, communication, which are all core PM skills. And this was one of the things that took a bit of time to sink in internally, that we also treat the internal initiatives as client missions 
and that we expect the same level of attention and stakeholder management as we would with external missions, even if we know that sometimes things can flare up at the client and we pause the internal work. Hey listener, do you fancy leveling up your product management skills and are you ready to take that next step in your product career? If you do, you're in luck. Mind the Product runs regular interactive remote product management training workshops where you can dedicate two half days to honing your skills with a small group of product peers. You'll be coached through product challenges by an expert trainer and you'll walk away with frameworks and tools you can use right away. I really like the idea of two individual half days. There's lots of time in between to decompress and process all of the day's light bulb moments. Clever. And you can choose from product management foundations, communication and alignment, metrics for product managers, and mapping to solve product problems. You can find out more and book your place at mindtheproduct.com slash workshops. I think one of the things I find really interesting about this model is um, for me personally, having worked in various different businesses and with different teams, you learn so much by being um, put in those different situations and experiencing those different dynamics and, and different products and markets and everything. So do you see this kind of structure and, and format of deploying product people as like an almost like an acceleration program in learning product management? Or do you think it takes the same amount of time to develop your skills as a PM in this type of structure? Um, amazing question. Indeed, we, we joke that product people years are like cat years, <laughs> because in, <Yeah>. in general, <laughs> someone may have three, four engagements and usually plateaus at some point, right? After you, you get over the onboarding and a few things that change, then unless the organization is going through a restructure, um, M&A, hyper growth or something, it's kind of going to stay the same and the scope is going to stay the same for a PM. Uh, so the learning plateaus at some point. We, we did notice that for, for some people, our setup has accelerated their career and we, we've had... Um, tremendous development either internally or through the exits we saw uh, from when people decided they wanted to take on a new challenge. It is sometimes overwhelming for some people. So that's why um, we also look at the promotion more of a time frame. You know, if you need more time within a certain level, we want to encourage that. So that's why we've also introduced the tenure-based compensation increase within a level because we saw internally that people were having this uh, stress of, okay, I've been an associate and I haven't promoted in my first three months because we had a few cases where associates promoted after three months with us into PM because they had all the other transferable skills. Uh, but there were also people with 10 years of work experience in a lot of other domains. So of course they did. But then if there's someone out of college who wants to say, okay, I, I will now promote into PM after three months of being an associate, it's probably less likely to pan out. So we started having this differentiation that we can accept people from different backgrounds and walk of life um, in the associate PM role, because even if they have a lot of transferable job experience, we can't have them client facing on their first day if they had a non-product elsewhere. It will also be a bit amusing for the clients, right? So, so people who haven't done that and, and can't be 
leveled as a client-facing PM for us then are offered an associate position. And, and some of them can move out of this in three months and have, but more likely it's going to be three to six or, or sometimes 12 um, or 18, which is also normal, right? Because compared to other area, other companies, it's way little. So that's that you're talking about that at the associate and junior levels. I'm curious. I've had people working for me who are, they're great at what they do, but they're really hungry for promotion. And I've had to tell them, yes, you're really good, but you just, you haven't seen enough to move to the next level. Mm -hmm. You have the skills, but not necessarily the experience. So just be calm. We'll, we'll get you there. And I love the idea of what you're talking about, 10 year based raises. Um, is there a typical time frame that people should expect um, a minimum of when you're moving to, say, product manager to senior or senior to VP and director type thing before, uh, instead of saying, is it every year? Is it or every 18 months that they should be looking for a promotion? Or do they just really at that level need to wait a little bit longer? I think the consensus in the industry is is waiting and, and getting this varied experience in product. With product people, we give people this opportunity, but we also are cautious to not promote too soon because we've had cases where then it can become too much for people, you know, because you need to then sustain performance now at the next level and demoting someone is probably super demotivating and it's something we wouldn't want to do. So we need to be careful. Okay, uh, we see that this person has a bit of a tendency to push themselves we need to make sure that they're able to sustain this, not by just throwing more hours at the problem, which, which sometimes happens with people are super ambitious and they're trying to do more, but figuring out strategies, how they could be more effective, uh, how they could deprioritize or even prioritize super aggressively and so on. And that's, that's where we see this tipping point towards more seniority because at, at the entry and mid level, it's fine to, put in a bit more time while you're figuring things out. But if to, to move to senior, you actually need to get a little bit lazy and under um, min max a few things, right? Uh, or, or get very good at delegating this to juniors and figuring out which junior person uh, will, will take this forward, then accept that it might fall through and, and so on and so forth. Does it also follow that if you're more senior, that you're better at all of these skills that so, than somebody more junior, or is it just you're developing different skills at that point? Uh, I, I feel people are just better at different things in, in general. So I would have probably people in my organization that are better than me at a s- certain skill set. It, it more matters how well they can function in there. And there, there are also some cases where, the culture of the company actually affects the performance of, of the people that we have running there. So, so that surprised me a lot that someone who would perform super well in all the missions we've had them, when added at a high maintenance client, then they actually got demotivated and underperformed a bit because the client just wouldn't let them do things and, and were just um, it was the type of setup where people were very interested in the form, but not what we, they were actually doing, which was also a bit counterintuitive because they were a startup. So you would have expected them to have a less corporate behavior. And, and that threw us up for a while and, until we decided to just be a bit more forceful and push back. 
so short answer, no. Uh, I think there are certain skills that are expected at a certain level, right? When, when for example, when someone becomes more senior, they're expected to hold their ground and be able to talk with director level or C-level, change information depending on their recipient. It's one way you explain things um, to the product analyst or, or the devs or the designer and another part on how you're pitching your initiative to the CEO. So, so this type of uh, or also um, conflict management or a few other soft skills then uh, let's say someone that's a bit more junior. But we did notice sometimes it, it also comes embedded with how a person developed themselves because there could be someone that's way more senior and needs a bit more polishing on their communication as just they've come from very direct cultures. And Mirella, we've talked about the need for like a hierarchy in uh, product development. But there has been a sort of trend. I'm not sure if it's still a trend at the moment of having kind of like a more flat structure across a business. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that as well? And, you know, does that cause issues or is that actually like a, a good sort of bar to aim for? My philosophy is it's, it's a good bar. And due to the market downturn, we did notice it in a few client organizations. So first of all, having less headcount in general or, or having product teams that are merged or restructured together, then we did notice in some cases even more aggressively one or two uh, layers of leadership were cut. So let's say it would be VP and head off or CPO and VP, and then product is not at C-level anymore, which was a sad development, but we did see it in a few cases. So that is happening also due to the um, trends in the market. We've also seen a trend where there are fewer designers and user research folks per team. And this this has been another part where we see, okay, before that, let's say each team had a designer or there was a designer to two teams. Now there's one to four teams. One factor would be that our personal personal preference that product people has also been relatively flat. So with this nine level, it doesn't mean that there's a super large chain of commands. So... Currently, VP of product reports to me, then there's a director of product reporting to the VP of product, but there are also some people reporting directly because we want to build up more people within this role over time in what we call pods, which some companies will call streams or squads, or, you know, we, we have them pods and they, ha they have fruit or vegetable names. And, and then um, we have the... Seniors either report to the VP of product or the director of product and junior or let's say associates will report to seniors or to mid-level PMs. And we also try to cluster people based on how they're working together at clients in, in the direct report line so that they don't talk about completely different things and they can help each other and give each other feedback that's also meaningful to what they work with every day. Marilla, I think we've got time for one last question. And we've painted a, a picture of everyone being really good at their job and being ready for the next level and getting promoted or being hungry for promotion, things like that. 
There are times, though, when people aren't performing at the level that you expect them to or hope them to, or they're not ready for promotion. And I don't want to ask you uh, anything specific about product mm-hmm. people in this one. This is more a much more general. You guys are based in Berlin. It's a German contract law. Employment law can be complicated. And this is really a much more general question. How do you work with people who are uh, not necessarily living up to the, the uh, level that you're expecting them to? I can also share some observations we've seen on, on the market. Um, there's indeed in, Ge- in Germany this large cutoff at six months to the point that recruiters sometimes with unfairly screen out CVs that have less than a year, tenure somewhere. And especially at the six months mark, it's sometimes considered a red flag, uh, which we don't abide by at product people. We also look at the... Um, application in a broader sense, but to kind of understand the, um, the stigma, let's say, around that. We, we did notice that in general fit, so, so there's one thing, let's say you hire someone and they're not a fit, or the other option can be that a company has someone as their employee for a while, and at some point in time, the performance is is not there anymore, or some things have changed, and what once worked, it didn't work anymore. Right, that, that's mostly the the cases. For for the new hires, it's more of a figuring out the mutual fit as soon as possible. And I've seen different ways of doing that. The, the product people only one is quite hands on in the first three, uh, first one month, three months, six months, because we also want people to understand if if they see themselves doing this as it's quite a a harder job and it's a bit different than being an in-house PM. So having this conversation, gathering this uh, um, 360 feedback, not only from the client, but also internally and from the person themselves, seeing how how they do that. I've seen the complete opposite approach at the company at Taiwan name, where a director of products said that in their first two months, they completely ignored the new hire. Like no 101, no talking with them, no giving tasks. They pretend this hire hasn't joined yet. And it has a really interesting effect that at the end of these two months, they sit them down and see what this person has been up to. The ones that make it past um, that are, are the ones who fa- found an initiative or found like something that was broken, jumped on it, rallied up other people that were already onboarded there to give them tasks or to loop them into the projects or initiatives they were working on. So it's it's basically the person carved their own reason to be within that uh, department, and and the ones that didn't uh, are are just um, managed out, and that's also a long enough time frame until the six months cutoff uh, in Germany. Uh, but it felt like a very counterintuitive um, example, and also I, I guess if everyone has their reasons. I feel it's slightly difficult for a new hire to be put in on this position rather than be told like things to improve. But we did saw that sometimes people don't like to be told uh, about areas of improvement. So I understand why the easier way out that this other person has taken for new direct reports can also be um, an option. So that, that is, let's say, for, for the new hires. Of course, it's of course very complex. And, and many times we also go back and review what would we have done if we would have done things differently? Is there something we can improve in the recruiting process and, and so on? Um, but what I've learned from a friend of mine who was recruiting at Amazon is that sometimes you you can just accept that 
there's a limited amount of information you can get from people during these few hours you spend during the interview process. And it is what it is. You, you can't know everything about them and understand their background and how they will react in totally new situation. And that also made me more relaxed for the cases where we had things that weren't a good fit uh, many times on both ends. Then on the managing out of people, I think for, for that part, probably I picked this up in the culture book from um, Netflix, where they look at the team as is and see, okay, if, if we were hiring, would we hire these people? Would we hire the same people for the same role? Not, not only to wait for underperformance, but also try to understand what it's this company or this department or this team going to be six months from now. And do the people here have the, the skills for it? Can they be moved somewhere? Can they be coached up uh, or should we bring in someone new? So having this uh, part, of course, the, um, the book by Netflix also cautions against finding other things for someone to do that, um, so relocating them to another job, family or another location. But I did notice that in many companies, this is a good practice and they're happy with it. So it seems to be more of a company specific type of approach. And, and in consultancies and in mostly professional services companies, there's also this concept of counsel to leave, meaning that someone is not terminated immediately, but not staffed for further and helped with introductions and other means to move on by themselves. And in many cases, thanks to the brands that the consultancy helps acquire and generally people being a bit better than average, then these people will exit on their own. Of, of course, um, that is, let's say, a fortunate uh, setup of, of these roles. I know not every startup will have the luxury to counsel people to leave. They will just send them the notice, right? Because mm. probably in, in these cases, the founders are already very stretched uh, or they don't have a network within a certain domain to um, help their departing uh, team members. Yeah, I was um, remembering about the Netflix culture deck uh, the other day, uh, reminiscing about it. It felt very revolutionary at the time when it came out. And um, and now I think probably lots of businesses have adopted some of the principles that were that were in that deck, potentially. So who knows, maybe we'll be adopting the principle of hire a PM and then don't talk to them for two months and see what happens. Yeah, that, that's not from but... Netflix, it's from a company I, I no, cannot disclose, no. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> that also seems rather radical. Um, Mirella, it's been so great hearing all about your experience um, managing lots of PMs and about your business. Um, which sounds really fascinating. I'm sure lots of people will be super interested to know if you are hiring. Yes, we are hiring. <laughs> um, I've, I've shared also a link. So we generally hire at all levels, uh, depending also when, how people transition or promote. Uh, so, so based on that, check out our pages. Maybe we're not hiring a senior now or we're not hiring an associate now, but we may be hiring, let's say, if, a certain proportion of our associates promotes into product manager. So then we will need other associates to, to support as uh, backup buddies for the other missions. So that's because sometimes people ask me, oh, you had this job ad, now it's gone. 
And so on. It's like, yes, because we hired people, we had this amount of people to hire. Now we just need to figure out how demand in the market and our internal staffing looks until we respond something back. Awesome. Well, we will put some links in the show notes. So if anyone is interested, then do reach out to Morella. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Mm-hmm.